Pregame.com offices in Las Vegas, Nevada. This is the sports betting preview show for Thursday, November 27th, 2008, a Pregame.com podcast. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. We're here with the godfather, Marco D'Angelo. You know who I am? I'm Mo Green. I made my bones when you were going out with cheerleaders. We've got Vegas Runner. Oh, my guy. <laughs> and we have a special guest today. Pregame.com president, R.J. Bell. <laughs> R.J. is in the house. He's marching in. They just rolled out the red carpet. He's coming in. He's, he's joining us. And uh, R.J., do you have a few words for the folks? Oh, you know, I'm just excited to be here. Uh, you know, in certain ways, I understand a lot of stuff, but when it comes to these games... These are the guys, and uh, I'm going to sit back and listen and uh, make a few comments. Excellent. Well, we're glad to have you here. Um, we have a very big story that we're going to be talking about this week, the water t- uh, cooler story of the week. And uh, a lot of this focuses on the BCS and kind of where the, the rankings are at this point of the season. Um, some games, obviously, big games this weekend as far as BCS rankings go, not necessarily uh, games that are uh, big games as far as even teams, that's for sure. But a lot of teams need to kind of clean up this mess this weekend. And, uh, you know, let's kick it to Marco first and, you know, kind of break down. You've been wanting to talk about this for a while. Now, after Oklahoma destroyed Texas Tech last week, bounced them down a little bit, what do you see happening this weekend? Well, first of all, I think the BCS is stupid. Uh, I think we should have a playoff system uh, so that we can get the best teams playing and let them play it out on the field. And what's going to happen? This week, I mean, first of all, we all agree, whoever wins the Alabama-Florida game is playing for the national title. That, that half of the bracket's set. But, you know, my question is, what's going to happen out of the Big 12? Uh, you know, everybody's penciling it in that it's going to be, you know, the SEC versus the Big 12 this year. But you got three teams tied right now. They're going to take the top BCS team if they finish in a tie. But my question is, if they go to the championship game and Missouri upsets the team from the South, then what happens in the BCS? Who's, who's going to be in line for the BCS? Well, and what happens if Florida State beats Florida this week, though, and then Florida beats Alabama in the, in the SEC championship game? I mean, that, that's possible. So I, I think that that's a good point, is that Alabama and Florida, the winner of that goes if they don't lose any other games. But if the winner of that game loses the prior week, it, it really throws a monkey wrench into it. Being at both Florida and Alabama are huge favorites this week, you know, I don't think that's going to happen, but there is more of a chance of the Big 12 upset. Absolutely. The way they've been beating everybody up. And Missouri won't be more than a seven, I, I think eight tops dog. They won't be no, a double-digit dog to either of them teams. So, I mean, it, it would be considered an upset, but having a seven-point dog come in and, and win the game outright. So, VR, what would you see the line being between Missouri and Oklahoma State on a neutral field? Oh, if, if they, them two met according to the... Because I'm looking at the Oklahoma line. They're on the road. What do they lay now? Eight, seven, eight? Yeah, eight points, yeah. I think. Okay, so if you give it four points for home field Boy, in the eight, Big 12, top. on a neutral, you're saying Oklahoma be laying 10 to 11 against Oklahoma State. Exactly. Now, how good is Oklahoma State versus Missouri? 
uh, in, in that game again, honestly, I think Missouri is the team being left out that no one is is given any respect now that it's coming down to to the end. Um, uh, you know, you're talking, you're hearing about your Oklahoma, you're hearing about Texas, you're, you're even throwing in the Oklahoma States in there. But as, as Missouri, I still haven't heard anyone give any respect to this team, except I heard earlier, actually yesterday on the radio, and uh, LVSC's Ken White was on there talking. And he said Missouri's going to be the team that's possibly going to throw a wrench into this whole thing because he really believes that Missouri shouldn't even be a, a touchdown dog to these teams according to the actual strength um, when they meet. On a so, neutral field. Like yeah, that. exactly, yeah. for for the that's Big the 12 championships. But I so. think it, it goes to show Oklahoma is a very public team, and that's a reoccurring theme in my perspective with sports betting, which is who's the public on and you want to go the other way. So if we're saying that Oklahoma is considered a 10 or 11 point neutral field yep. favorite over Oklahoma State, now the question becomes how good is Oklahoma State compared to Missouri? And I think if we say even, which may not be too far off, you're going to be seeing a 10 or 11 point line in the championship game if it's Oklahoma, Missouri. Right. And, and Oklahoma being the offensive juggernaut that they are, that's going to be a public team regardless. I mean, any team that puts up that many points is going to get you know the recreational better lined up at the window ready to fire away at them. Um, I, I believe that actually Florida has the best offense in, in college football. I really do. I know Oklahoma puts up a ton of points, but I really think just the way they're so efficient, uh, whether they're running the ball, whether they're passing the ball, uh, I give Florida the edge as the best offense in college football today. Yeah. Now, I'm sorry. No, go, ahead. go ahead, RJ. Well, the, it strikes me that the game, there, there usually is a marquee game and maybe marquee is not the right word, but there's a real statement game that people remember the rest of the season. For example, High State losing to USC. No matter what High State did, there was this sense that they were frauds. And to me, I look at the Florida game against LSU, and, and you guys, again, follow this more closely than me, as a statement game. That was a game where everyone said Florida is really good. Now, as we look back in hindsight, this LSU team is not very good. Does that, and, and I'll open the floor to this question, does that make any of you guys question the perception of Florida? Because I think a lot of it had to do with that LSU game. Myself, the, the, the perception of Florida, I actually, that loss, what Mississippi's been able to do, I mean, they've shown they are a legitimate team. I mean, uh, sure, they, going in and, and beating Florida, even by a, a, a half a point, is an accomplishment and is a, a major overachievement for that team. But instead of letting down after that game, they've kind of springboarded and been able to go on a little roll themselves. They went into LSU, one of the toughest places to play, whether they have a good game, a year or not. Mm -hmm. It's not a place you're going to walk out with a victory very easily, especially in night games, um, which is their, their like bread and butter. And that's exactly what Mississippi did last week. Um, and they annihilated them on all facets of the ball, special teams, offense, and defense. So um, as far as that, I, I think that the Florida loss, yes, it does knock them down a little bit, but I, I really don't think it was as, as big of an upset as you know the BCS might make it be or as much as the press is making it out to be, especially as the season went on and we saw what Mississippi's done. Well, but I think I'm looking at the flip side of this, which is that the Florida statement win 
was against LSU. See, I, I, I disagree. I think the Florida State win was against Georgia. Yeah, what and what they say. did, they get, was it like 62 to the 10? Blowout. Or 40, yeah. 49 to 10. 49 to 10. All right, I gave them a couple extra touchdowns. But that game, I mean, Georgia was the preseason number one. Everyone loved them. They kind of fell down a little bit when they lost to Alabama, but then they rebounded until Florida just crushed them. Yeah. And, and, and I think, and I think that, that one was, was on a neutral field. That's the outdoor cock part. Cocktail party. Yeah, that yeah. you're not allowed I have to, to agree. That, that was Florida's, we're for real, this is what we got. Put any team in front of us, and we had the, the, the horses to blow them away, not just to beat them. And, I mean, up until that point, what Georgia was number one going into that game, if I'm not mistaken. I think they, they already lost it. That was after the Alabama game. I think. Oh, yeah, so, so they was, already yeah. had the loss. But, they, yeah. I mean, they was within a touchdown. But they were bouncing back. They were still yeah, like a statement. That was a statement win yeah. for sure. So I would agree there's two of them there. Now here's something I read that was kind of interesting. Uh, now, remember, the Big 12, if it's a three-way tie in the one division, then it becomes the highest BCS. BCS right. If it's a two-way tie, the first tiebreaker is heads up. So if Oklahoma State, and again, is a seven, uh, eight-point underdog, not impossible by any stretch, beats Oklahoma, then if Tech can win at home against uh, Baylor, is that right? Yeah, Baylor. Um, they will be in the championship game. Now, assuming they beat Missouri, you know, it'd be an interesting situation that Tech very viably could be in the national championship game. Yeah, see, I think the team that's getting screwed the most out of this is is Texas to be honest with you? Carpet Dave on the forums. He made a he had a great forum post talking about this, and you know basically just you know saying that Texas you know don't forget the forty five thirty five win that they had over Oklahoma. They had the toughest. If they would have managed the game better, they'd still be the number one team in the country against Texas Tech. They lost that game on the road. Oklahoma won the big game against Texas Tech at home, and and Texas right now is I mean the unfortunate thing for them is they're playing one of the weakest teams this weekend that's not going to impress people in Texas A&M. Oklahoma has Oklahoma State, who's a, a decent team that's going to get respect, and people, you beat them, it's like, all right, well, th that's another solid win. You can't say that about Texas A&M. Texas could win that game 70 to nothing, and they'll be like, oh, but that was Texas A&M. So and they, I mean, they're still tied. Te Texas does have a legitimate argument. And they're Matt, number Matt two. Brown. They're number two right now. They did. They not manhandled Oklahoma, but they had an answer for everything Oklahoma did that game. I mean, they never were really the biggest problem is that ever game, at risk of let, letting that game slip out of their hands. That game was too early in the season. That's the problem. Is people kind of forget that. That's Absolutely. why I liked about Carpet Dave's post is he brought it back and his his title of the post was 55-45. And, <laughs> and you go in there, or 45-35, sorry, and you go in there and he had all the reasons why Texas is, it should be sitting in the driver's seat, and they are. They're number two in the BCS. Oklahoma's going to have to leapfrog them. And that came during a stretch, though, that Texas was playing oh, top team stretch. after top team yep. after top team, and they were getting it well, That done. was the beginning of the stretch, I think. Yeah. That, was, that was the first game. Let's not Oklahoma forget, State. though, they don't get that kickoff return in that game. Oklahoma had them on the ropes early. That kickoff right. return turned that whole game around, the complexion of that game. Got Texas back in it, and then oh, you know, then they controlled it the rest of the way. But in the end, the BCS computer factors in, you know, the 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 amount of points a, a team beat yeah, another by. Victor, yeah. yeah, and that's ten points. Well, I mean, no, they didn't win by on a, a by a field goal. Yeah. They didn't win. You know, they weren't behind, and, and where they had to kick a last second field goal to win by one, they won by double digits over Here, a team that we're saying is number one possibly. Here's what surprised me, and makes me think Oklahoma's almost a sure thing if they do beat Oklahoma State to be in the championship game, which is that, unless I'm mistaken, it's the voters that have Oklahoma ahead right now and the 
computer has Texas ahead. ahead. You're and I would have right. looked, and I would have looked at it the opposite. I would have thought the voters would have said, "Okay, because of the head-to-head win we by Texas, Texas, we're going to give it to Texas." The fact that the voters aren't doing that is what surprises me. The computers are going to um, catch up to the results with an Oklahoma State win here, or excuse me, an Oklahoma win over Oklahoma State, and a Texas win that's not going to be as impressive. Now maybe Oklahoma and Texas are going to move closer together in the computers. But if the voters, there's no way the voters, you would think, are going to reverse themselves. If this week they say Oklahoma's better, and then Oklahoma beats Oklahoma State and Texas beats um, a and M. You would think they're going to keep it the same order, so it feels like a sure thing well, if Oklahoma point, wins. The other point is that Oklahoma wins, then they're going to go to the championship game, and they're going to have that extra game in the computer that's going to lock and it up. And this whole sure. mess seems to be with the Big Twelve because they, you know, this is a year that they have three legitimate teams that, you know, anyone could argue that they each have a right, right. to play. And that goes the back representative to of the the Pac-10, which will be USC or Alabama from the but SEC. As strong as the as strong as the Big 12 is, wouldn't you love to see a playoff and, and have those teams meet for a second time? Wouldn't you? I would. I, I, I would actually would like to see a Big Oklahoma 12 team Texas. with defense first. Well, but, yeah. But, I mean, you know, it is exciting to watch. This absolutely. Is, absolutely. This is Pac-10 football and, of the 90s. That, that's what, what I think is. makes it so intriguing to me, at least. The team that comes out of this, regardless, is going to be the team that is known for putting up points. Right. But they're going to get absolutely no respect as, as far as defense goes. Well, let me pose the question to you guys, because you're the real experts when it comes to the matchups. Is it that the defense is so bad, or is it the offenses are so good? Because when you look at the out-of-conference, uh, I'm a big fan of Kansas. I have friends on the staff. And you know, I was at the Orange Bowl last year. And again, it was year to year now. Kansas isn't quite the team. But uh, that Kansas team had a hell of a defense last year. And is it that, and, and you guys probably can remember more of the out-of-conference games, is during the tougher out-of-conference games for the Big 12 this year, were they giving up 40 points? Well, the, the thing is, and you brought up the Kansas game. I, wa- I remember watching that Kansas game. I mean, they were hurt. Their wide receiver, I forget his name, was playing with like half a lay. I mean, they were really banged up in that game. But yet, they were able to score at will almost against Oklahoma. Even though they did lose by almost three touchdowns, they, they were having 40-yard plays, 50-yard plays. So, I mean, as far as saying that the, they do have a weak defense, I, I do say they. I, I think, the, athlete, that says, I think yes, the athletes they do. are just different. Um, yes, their offense the is that good. I, I totally agree that the offense of the Big 12 is that good. But I think the defense is almost that bad. Well, um, I, I have two points. One is my guess is next year in the NFL draft, there's going to be five, six, seven defensive players from the Big 12 taken in the first two or three rounds. We know Texas is renowned to have a D line that's you know could step right into the right. league. But I think so, the, I think the SEC will have more. I mean, I think the but the no SEC, one's saying the SEC has horrible defense. Well, that's true. I mean, it, it just depends. I mean, there's guys obviously who stand out who make a, who put a lot of numbers together. I mean, I'm a Bears fan. Tommy Harris was like one of the best defensive linemen to come out of Oklahoma in like ten years or something, and he's done very little to me in the pros so far. I mean, but he was built up because he made so many plays. I mean, somebody's got to make the plays. I mean, there's going to be a lot of guys, there's going to be a guy who has like ten interceptions in the in the Big Twelve because there, there's so many passes thrown. You know what I mean? With, the stat, the numbers are going to look good. You're, you're, yeah, you're, you're definitely going to have your key players because they get the the pick of the litter. So you're going to have a lot of Big Twelve players playing in the NFL next year and the year after that, and a lot of them will be from the defensive side of the ball because they are playmakers. 
and they were recruited as playmakers. Well, think about I mean, they didn't get there by accident. They could have played any of them guys could have played at Florida. They could have played at USC pretty much, and they chose to play in the Big Twelve. But I believe just the, the defense as a whole, the team as a whole, not at the individual parts. I really believe that there's a weakness there in the Big Twelve. I really think if they face a team like Florida. If they t- face a team like USC that's so powerful defensively, I think it'll really be shown. I think they'll get exploited on the defensive side. I agree. Of the I mean, I think that's where I think you'll really see the different level of you know first class defense to one that's getting it done because their offense is able to put up sixty points. And let's tell it like it is: when you're up three, four touchdowns, it's not too hard to play defense, guys. You drop, Absolutely. you drop back in zone coverage. You drop back. You rush four, and you do the exact same things every time. No, You're not worried about too much running plays. You're not worried about anything but three, four wide receiver sets. It's not very difficult to play defense when you're up four touchdowns. Right. And the other factor with the offenses in the Big 12, when was the last time that you had a conference that had the quarterbacks that the Big 12 has, and they've all been in the system for a few years now? It's not like you've got you know underclassmen coming in. These guys have stayed in the program you know they're pros. I mean, these guys are going to be able to you know go to the NFL and, and after make... this year if they want to. And I think there's an interesting conversation because we're not too far from the bowl season, and you know the understanding how certain conferences, the Big Ten's been one uh, in the last few years is oh we discount maybe an eight and three team from the Big Ten because the level of competition is low, and and it seems like in the bowls that's that's borne out correct that the Big Ten hasn't performed well. Do you guys look to go against the Big Twelve in the Vols? I'm interested. That that, that I'm great, really glad you brought that up. That's exactly what was going through my head right now. During the bowl season, will I be looking to fade the Big Twelve teams? Um, I think if they're facing an opponent who at least has the caliber, not to even keep up with them offensively, but to disrupt the offensive rhythm of, of the team enough to where they won't be able to, to get into that rhythm where they're going to score on every possession, where you need a defense that's going to be able to, to force a couple three and outs, I believe, and let that offense sit on the sidelines a little bit. In that situation, I would look for teams because let's remember, they're going to be, they're going to be the favorites going in most of these games and the heavier favorite to boot because we're going to be looking at a high over-under. So, I mean, when you're looking at a 66-65 over-under, you're not really going to be looking at too many point spreads that are two or three. You're going to be looking at seven, eight, and double-digit point spreads. And in that spot, I, you know, I would be looking the back of defense, a, a team that I think could play, you know, a lot better defense than their Big Twelve opponent that they're meeting. Um, and speaking of the totals, they're saying this Missouri, the Big Twelve championship, there it'll be close to eighty when that total comes. It'll out. probably be in the thirties. <laughs> probably. I just want to. I want to back up uh, Vegas Runner's point. I just think it's going to depend on the matchups because if you have a, if you have a Big Twelve team going against an SEC team, or depending on the conference, you know if if I think a great bowl matchup would be like a Texas Tech against like a Ball State or something like that, where you have two offenses, two teams like Texas Tech almost got there, and you got a Ball State that's still going to be unbeaten probably. See what those two teams can do, do against each right, other. I mean, right. that, that to me See, would be an intriguing matchup. I like the other way. I go to the other extreme. The best way to disrupt a good offense is keep it on the sidelines. I like a team that can play ball control and can run the ball. And, but know, that goes hand in hand. I think you'll see the the traits of a, a good ball control team is running the ball, like a lot of the Big Ten teams. Like you know, Ohio State's at its best when they control the clock. Yeah, and and, and, and they play good defense, and they right. don't have to have those guys on the field. I think Marco's comment 
brings up one last point I'd like to make, and then what I want to do is pose a question for you guys for next week, maybe, is as I look at I'll pose the question first, and maybe I'll be the question of the week next there week. There you go. Is, you don't get $25. So. Oh, okay, fair. <laughs> is, as I see it, I would say the, the, the fifth best team, if we're assuming Missouri's fourth in the Big 12, then the case can be made the fifth best team is Oklahoma State, the sixth best team is Kansas, seventh best is Nebraska. Now, you might want to move six or seven or right. whatever. But let's say five, six, and seven is Oklahoma State, Kansas, Nebraska. Which conference do you put five, six, and seven up and think you're even in the game? Uh, to me, when I look at five, six, and seven here, uh, I don't see, and again, maybe we're going to have to make some allowances if we're 16 team conferences and all that stuff. But even so, uh, even the SEC, which, you know, I, the thing I don't get about the SEC, everyone says, oh, they're so deep, they're so loaded. It wasn't just 23 months ago that a high state from the horrible Big Ten was laying seven and seven and a half against Florida True. in the national championship game. Correct. So here's the team that comes out of the SEC, and now all of a sudden because of that game and because they're beating each other up, they're now all of a sudden like the minor leagues of the NFL and everyone else is the next level down. I just don't understand that. And when I see an LSU hardly beat Troy State, you know, now you got to wonder. And, and again, so my question is, tell me the five, six, seven that's going to play against Oklahoma State, Kansas, Nebraska. And I'll give you guys till next week on that one. That's, that's an excellent question. And, and that, believe it or not, I actually heard the odds maker himself say these exact words. Kentucky from the SEC, if you put him in the Big 12 tomorrow, would probably have the best defense that any of them teams have met. In the whole season, the and that's scary season. to say with Kentucky. Yeah, he <laughs> believes that a, a defense like Kentucky's from the SEC is better than Texas, Oklahoma, Missouri, Texas Tech, or Oklahoma's defense. See, I think Texas plays the best defense of any of those teams, to be honest with you, and I think that's why you know it's it's kind of tough for them. You know what they did against Kansas on the road. You know, limiting them. You know, they're the, to me is the they have the best overall team, and that's why it's going to be a travesty to me if they end up with one loss and don't go to the championship game. Why do we need a playoff system? I think there should be a playoff in the Big 12. <laughs> I think there should be a four-team playoff. Put, <laughs> put that together. That would be awesome. Now, I actually thought of something else. I was going to pose it to you guys, and, and I will, but I also would like to pose it to the forums. As some of you or most of you know, at pregameforums.com, we have a huge community and a lot of talking and a lot of people working to help each other win, and that's a great, uh, great environment there is my question is, and if anyone in the forums wants to answer online, that'd be awesome, is when you look at the numbers, and when we talk about defense, oftentimes you look at the yards, or excuse me, points per game. And sometimes you look at yards per game. But the hardcore math guys usually look at yards or points per play. Because the rationale being that if you have teams like Oklahoma and Texas Tech that are playing no huddle, passing 80% of the time, you're going to get a lot of reps off, where in a Big Ten type game, you're going to get a lot less reps off. And let's think about it for a minute. If you are 30% less repetitions or snaps in a game, in theory, you should give up 30% less points in a one-to-one -one basis. Not to mention there is an ancillary factor, which is fatigue. If you're playing so many more plays, you're going to have tired defenses. So the question I have is, do any of you guys look at the, 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 the numbers, the yards per play, or the points per play? 
as opposed to the big raw numbers, like, oh, they give up 42 points again. It sounds like a kingmaker question, actually. But. Myself, absolutely. Um, the, the, the number, I know a lot of, uh, you know, sharp bettors that exactly what you just said, put stock into the yards per play. Um, they believe in that. I mean, they'll break it down for the offense and defense of both teams. Um, I'm one that really puts a lot of stock into points per, points per yards, um, yards per point, excuse me. Um, how long, you know, how many yards does a team actually have to go for them to score a point? I put a lot of stock in that. Um, the way I like to handicap a game and, and put that into effect is I try to break it down and see how many, you know, rushing yards will this team have against this team? How many passing yards should they have against this team? Um, when I'm able to come up with an average, let's say 335 yards, they should of total offense. And then I could go and see that they average, you know, 12.1 yards per point. I'm able to then, you know, divide that total yardage by what they average and, and come to my conclusion of what do I think they have the capability of putting up in that game. And a lot of times, I mean, you will get right on if you're able to see how the game's going to go. If you could, it, it all kind of works together. If you're able to, to see three hours into the future, as they say, and see how a game's going to transpire, how the offense is going to go, how the defense is going to go, and you could come up with where they'll be successful, where they won't, and uh, come up with a yardage for them, I think that's a very important uh, factor to, to throw in there. That's the yardage, the points per yards, the yards per point, which they have it listed as. Um, I think every handicapper needs to take a look at that. You see some, it'll definitely let you know how good a team's defense is because you see some of these teams and you have to go 28 yards for every point. And that's the kind of defense you really want to, you know, go behind. And then you have some offensive teams that'll score every nine yards. So uh, that, for myself, I definitely add that. I don't know if every handicapper does, but I, I think it's I something doubt it. I think it's one of, that's one of those things that makes sets you above the rest. And one of the other things with um, the average capper will look at a game and will see a team that has a great rushing defense. Well, you got to know the team. If the team's winning by 30 points on average, they're always going to have a good rushing defense because the other team's not going to be rushing the ball against them. They're playing catch-up. They're throwing the ball. Yeah, absolutely. And you'll see misleading stats that way. So you have to know what you're looking and at. And I think Marco's point, really, you know, as I, as a listener to the podcast, and I hear about the gems and the golden nuggets, and I do think it's important for the listeners to think, you know, in this society, this is going to sound a little like an old fogey here, but uh, in this society, everything's so fast-paced, you don't take a lot of time to think about the concepts. And really the concept that I am hearing here is something that's not obvious. Because rest assured, if you're able to look at it in the USA Today and see the number, everyone's able to do that. You're and right, rest assured, yeah. the lines maker can do that, and so can the public, which is setting the line after the initial line comes out, because they can bet it one way or the other. If you see beyond something, and Marco's point was a great one, if you have a team early in the season, let's say, now we're not there now for, for football, but let's think about it. Early in the season, three, four, five games, and they've blown everyone out, and all of a sudden it looks like they got a good rushing defense, but no one's rushed against them. Now they come up against an equal team that runs the ball. That's a spot that the numbers are going to lie. And if you can find a way for the numbers to lie, you can be against the public, and that's where the pros make the real money. Pre-game nugget R.J. Bell. This is what you get when R.J. Bell stops by. This is, this is, I think, one of the best conversations we've had about any topic since we've done the podcast. And it's uh, been the longest. Well, hey. <laughs> so what's coming up? I'm going to have to... and quality, I think. I'm going to have to step out. What's coming up for the rest of the podcast? Well, it's good you're stepping out because a little later in the show, we give away some of your money. So you better get out of here. 
Yeah, we actually have the game of the week and the question of the week coming up right after the break. Again, you're listening to the Sports Betting Preview Show, a pregame.com podcast. This is Matty O'Shea, pregame.com's GM of content, and I'm here to tell you about the Pregame Wire, which is your source for breaking sports betting news, giving you injury and lineup alerts each and every game day. If a key player is out, the Pregame Wire will tell you before you bet the game, giving you the edge you need to be a smart and informed better. For fantasy football players, the Pregame Wire is also a must-visit page to find out who is in and who is out of your lineup every week. Just go to pregame.com and click Wire Alerts on the left side to get the pregame wire alerts right now. Welcome back to the Sports Betting Preview Show, a pregame.com podcast. We're uh, back and we're going to start talking with a, about a little a little different game of the week. It's not one of the bigger blockbusters that uh, probably you would figure. There's a lot of big games in the NFL and in college football, but I think this one is kind of one that's flying under the radar a bit. And it does have huge BCS implications, and that's Oregon against Oregon State, the old Civil War game. Um, and uh, Marco, what do you got for this game? Well, you know, for the guys out west in the Pac-10, this is this is huge. We got Oregon State that has totally been flying under the radar. Uh, they upset Southern Cal early in the year, and probably going to cost Southern Cal their shot at the national championship game. They're assuming playing. They win. Yeah. Assuming they win. They're playing with all the pressure, and this is a team that's not been in this kind of pressure yet. So, you know, the implications for that, um, then you throw in that it's, you know, a rivalry game, and we're going to be talking about rivalry games a little later on in the podcast. Um, this is a tough game, and it, it's a very competitive line at three. Um, Oregon has been very good in these competitive price games. When Oregon has been involved in a game where the line has been plus three to minus three, they're 33 and 15 against the spread. So wow. they, you know, they know how to play the games where you know you're you're playing an opponent that's equal. And when the line's plus three to minus three, basically they are equal. Yeah, it's absolutely. home. It's home field, and that's exactly what you got in a rivalry game. Both teams have you know potent offenses. Although last week Oregon State only put up 19 points, but prior to that, 34, 34, 27, 34, 66. They hung up on Washington State. And I think everybody's done that to Washington State. They, this is true. Yeah. Uh, but you got Oregon scored 55 against Arizona in their last game. They've had two weeks to prepare. That's an advantage to Oregon, um, where Oregon State played last week. Um, I see the game as a toss-up. And I think yeah. it's going to come down to the you know who makes the mistake. What do you think, VR? I, I agree. I think this, I mean, when you look at it, the BCS has Oregon 22 and Oregon State's 21. Um, then you even look at the odds makers poll, and they got Oregon 16 and Oregon State 18. Um, a point different between the two. So you add in three three points for Oregon State being home. So the line's where it should be. Let's tell it like it is. Um, so it is a toss-up game any way you look at it. What intrigues me about this game is there's a couple things thrown into it now with the running back situation, with the quarterback situation, um, you know, the starters that's, that's back. That's both on Oregon State. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and that's why I'm a little surprised that this line is still three. I really expected it to drop under a field goal, to go to about two and a half, even money, maybe even two and a half minus 20. Um, but it seems to me that the odds makers and the bookmakers um, – want to leave it at three and see what happens so far everyone i've spoken to says the money's coming in split maybe a little bit more on the favorite you expect that with just about every game that's 50 50 you're going to get a little more on the favorite um to me this has been a home series 
The home team has won. I mean, if you look, it's been every other year the team one team wins. Oregon, Oregon State, Oregon, Oregon State, except for the last two. Oregon State won the last two, 38-31 last year at Oregon. That was in overtime, though. And the year before, 30-28 to at home. Um, up until then, they were alternating wins and losses every year. The, the home team's 9-1 and one straight up at home. So, you know, the edge there has to go to Oregon. I know it's the Oregon State. I know it's a civil war. I know it's, you know, they're in-state. But obviously, the home field has played, you know, a, a major factor in this series since the home team's won nine of the last ten. So to say that they're in-state rivals and home field doesn't have much to do with it, I don't think that's a fair statement. I think home field is huge. That's why the odds maker still has this at three. Um, Oregon State's been a covering machine. We all know they've won six straight, but I mean, they have just been covering week in and week out. They are eight and two against the spread. And they're, where Oregon, Oregon, the weakness for Oregon, I think, in this game is they're trapped. Again, this is a road game. They're only three and two at home on the road, this team, while Oregon State's undefeated at home. The big edge for Oregon State in this game is on the defensive side of the ball. And when you look at defensively, they are 13th in the nation in total yards allowed. Oregon is 74th. Against the pass, Oregon State is 24th. Oregon's 102nd in the national NCAA, I mean. Um, rushing, they're about close. Points, Oregon State has a huge defensive edge. They are 38th in, in the NCAA compared to 73. Now, when you look at these numbers, you say, yes, this defense is a lot better than Oregon State. But when you look at the strength of schedule and you see that Oregon State has the 20th most difficult schedule in all of college football, while Oregon comes in at the 62nd most toughest schedule, it shows me that it's even bigger. You know, the, the numbers, even the discrepancy is even huger than just saying, you know, 73rd against 13th. When you see that the strength of schedule is 20 to 62nd, it's a big difference to have this big of a statistical advantage. I like Oregon State in this one. Not ready to lay the three points, though. Um, I have to still do a little work before I make it a play. But if looking at this game, if I had to lean aside, I'm leaning towards Oregon State, unless it scares me so much with that running back being out. One thing that uh, for Oregon to have a shot uh, to beat Oregon State on Saturday, they got to correct one thing, and they've gotten away with it three of the last four weeks. But in the last four games, they've got 11 turnovers. That's what I was going to say. Turnovers, and they have to pass the ball. they got to have some success passing the ball this week, or they're going to have a lot of trouble. But like you just said, turnovers, and Oregon State's the kind of team that will capitalize on it. Oregon State's only had four turnovers in their last five games, where Oregon's had 11 in the last. And that's why Oregon State's 8-2 and two ATS, and Oregon's 5-6 and six ATS. Right. You look at turnovers, that's, they play a huge you know, factor in, in pros and in college in covering the point spread. Yeah, I, I actually agree with you guys. I and mean, I think Oregon State definitely has the edge here, regardless of – it's a Jaquiz. Rogers is the running back, freshman running back, tiny guy. It's kind of like Joe Morris. He's unbelievable. He's a great, there, yeah. great player. He's, he's doubtful, actually, for this game. So it would be surprised if he plays. But at the same time, uh, like – I just don't think you can underestimate the home field in, in in this situation with a Rose Bowl berth on the line. Forty-four years since they went to the Rose Bowl, they would love and they would. You got to consider the matchup too. They get to go. Yes, they yeah. they want to they want to go and play Penn State, and and that's a huge revenge game in a Rose Bowl. Based on they got their their butts just 
you know, yeah, wiped yeah. all over the field in that game. And this is one of those games where you know I actually thought, and I know VR, you had you at Arizona last week too. I thought the down spot for for Oregon State was going to be last week on the road both. against uh, against an Arizona team that's per- was perfect against the spread at home this year. And I thought that was going to be their dead spot, kind of looking ahead, ahead to the rivalry. That's exactly game. what, what yeah. my, my reasoning goes. And they showed me play. a lot. They they had those injuries. They suffered them early in the game. Rodgers actually got hurt, I think, in the second quarter. And they still were able to keep it close and win that game. Right. So I, I definitely like Oregon State in this Just one. Just remember one last thing, and we'll talk about this angle more later in the podcast when we put up the question of the week. But Oregon, this is – their heated, hated rival, Oregon State. Absolutely. They would love nothing better. To ruin it. To oh, ruin absolutely. It, to ruin it for them. That That's the only reason I haven't pulled the trigger yet on this game because I am a dog player, you know, predominantly. But um, like Maddie said, if, I, if, if they could still have Purdue – just have a good running game. You don't have to fill in for Rodgers and do exactly what he did. But if they could just continue to run the ball successfully – you know, and their line's doing the job with a small guy. This is what this is the thing. If a small guy is is effective as, as he has been, it's because the offensive line's doing a hell of a job. And it, they're balanced too. I mean, if you look, their offensive passing and and their rushing is pretty close as far as where their ranking is in the NCAA. Where for Arizona, it's the complete opposite. They're they they have a lot of success running the ball, Oregon, but absolutely right, yeah. Oregon, yeah. but absolutely no success at all passing the ball. So I think that plays into Oregon State's favor too. That they're more balanced, and when a team's more balanced, if one thing isn't working, at least you have a shot for something right. else to be working. But for Oregon, if their run game can't get going, and you have to resort to a passing game that hasn't been go- gotten going for 11 games, um, you know it puts you in a tough spot. Like I said, I haven't pulled the trigger yet on this game. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see me on the dog come game day. But right now, all edges point towards Oregon State. And everybody remembers, too, what, what Oregon State did to USC. It took away their, their passing game in that game up there where they, yeah. where they upset them early in the season. Um, well, I think we're just going to roll right into the question of the week. We Marco kind of touched on this. And uh, hold on. Oh, jeez. Uh, All right. Well, we don't. Could that be email? Could that be email? <laughs> hold on. Hold on. I think she's here now. Could that be email? I she's always late. I forgot that I put the volume down earlier. Sorry, guys. She's no, always late. <laughs> she got caught on the 215. She's always late with me. But uh, question of the week. We got good news and bad news. The the bad news is we're not giving away $25 this week. The good news is we're going to give away 50 next Damn. week. Because the question of the week comes from our very own Tommy Ryder, and unfortunately he's ineligible to get the coupon. So we're going to roll it over He'd to next week. he probably buy his own picks anyway. So probably. Uh, but we're going to uh, go with his question this week. And Tommy says, Marco once told me that this is the toughest weekend of the year to cap in college football because of all the rivalry games. How do you guys approach rivalry games in college football, and how much do the odds maker take into account the rivalry angle when making the line? And uh, I'll kick it to you, VR. I'll let you start this one off. Um, when it comes to rivalry games and the odds makers, I'll tell you exa- the, exactly how they, they uh, look at the game. Number one, they're going to have to force, they got to put a number up that, that is according to their power ratings. Um, number one, because. First off, they need to make sure that they don't put up a weak number so that as soon as it goes up, there's a bunch of sharps laying there to slaughter them on it. So, I mean, although they do have to factor in everything that goes with the rivalry game, 
the base of the number is on their power ratings and nothing more. Um, and then from there, I think, is when they start forming it. Um, and that's when they start putting in, sprinkle in a little public perception, like I say, sprinkle in a little history, sprinkle in a little motivation, all them things. But as far as the number itself, when they bring it out, they're bringing it out based on power ratings and power ratings alone. And from there is when they're going to, you know, do everything to it to see if it's going to adjust a point or two in either direction. Um, the three things that, that they definitely look at when it comes to um, rivalry games is motivation. Are both teams motivated? I mean, you know, when you have one team that's had a, a terrible season all year, but this is their, their sugar bowl, let's say, um, there's a, a motivation factor just as much for the, the dog as there is for the favorite that needs to win by five touchdowns for the BCS. So they're definitely going to factor in motivation. Number two, they're going to factor in history. Some teams just do well against other teams, or, or like we saw in the Oregon, Oregon State, which we just spoke about. The home team has covered, has won the game straight up nine of the last ten times. That has to be factored in because of teaser players, money line players. Um, so they definitely have to take a look at that. If, if one team you know, has had that huge of an edge when they play home, it has to be factored in. Um, so it's definitely history, definitely motivation. And uh, the last thing that I definitely think they're, they're, they need to look at is where these two teams go head into this game. Like where are they standing right now? Um, are they hot? Towards the national pitcher? Yeah, or, or yeah. Just uh, more, more towards the streaks. Yeah. yeah, because these, let's remember, these rivalry games are marquee games. Most of them will be televised national primetime games. And that does give, you know, Sharps a little edge on the number because they do have to factor in more public perception for them games. But it'll be shaded a point or two in the most, um, especially when the, when the board is as limited as it is. So... I think they're going to put the whole puzzle together and then throw the line out. But uh, as far as how far it's moved off the, the number according to their power ratings, I don't think more than two points either way, you know, if you factor in everything else. So I think when you're going to handicap the game, you got to stick into it the way you've been doing it the whole season, not try to really change up anything you're doing. Now, I know Marco's got a great take on the backyard brawl being a, being a Pittsburgh native. You want to talk about that? Yeah, well... I'm going to disagree with you a little bit. It's not too often that me and you disagree in handicapping, but when it comes to Rivalry Week, I do. First thing I do on Rivalry Week, that's my stat sheets. I'm ripping them up. Well, I yeah, throw, yeah. I throw no, them no. out. No, I understand what you're saying. And what I look at Rivalry Week, I'm going to go into the week. Um, every game that I handicap, I start on the dog. And there has to be a very, very good reason to get me off the dog to the favorite, and the reasons why are this. The favorite's always gonna have something to play for. True. Vegas loves to make the public pay for teams that have incentive. They know that Team X needs this game to go to the Rose Bowl. So you're gonna lay an extra point or two. Why, Texas is 35 tomorrow. Right, you're gonna lay an extra point or two to pay the premium. Um, when that also happens, so now you're laying a higher number, you're playing a team that's in a position that knows if we win, we get to the promised land. Sometimes these teams then revert to playing not to lose instead of playing to win. They play tight because it's a big game. So now you got you know a team laying more points, playing tight, and then they're playing their rival. And if their rival is a team that's not going anywhere, if they're a four and five team and they've got no bowl on the horizon, this is their bowl game. 
they get up for it, and they're going to leave everything on the field. They could be in fourth and threes, and what do they care? We go for it, which right. can work both ways, but you it's a cash different mentality. Yeah, right. Totally you cash different. in some of those fourth and threes, so you get extra possessions, and all of a sudden you got a dog with nothing to lose true, that's hanging true. in a game in the fourth quarter. So rivalry, I used to be honest, you know, the first 10 years when I was in a business, this was absolutely my worst weekend of the year i used to get drilled on thanksgiving weekend and i had to go back and reassess what i was doing and i was looking i said you know i can't be handicapping by the stats and that's what i used to do and it got me into trouble because all these teams that were inferior on paper right were right. rising up to the occasion and I, and I had to look back and and again i've preached it a hundred times on the show when I win a game, it's done. I don't care how I won a game, but when I lose a game, I go back and look at the game, and I look at what I was looking at and why I lost it, so I learned from it. And that's how I readjusted my handicapping during this rivalry week, and I've done very well with it afterwards. But I'll, believe me, the first 10 years I was in this business, I dreaded Thanksgiving week because I got drilled. But what, what I'm trying to say is that both teams, I mean, the press and, and TV is who quotes rivalry week for a lot a lot of these games aren't a rivalry for some of these teams no i mean texas against texas a&m it's not their rivalry they you know they're big games against oklahoma right but for um, a&m it, it, it is for a &M. Right, right. Rivalry, right, so. right right so i mean no a game like that is more important to a&m um as far as motivation goes for texas it's just another game although they have to win by a certain amount for bcs um, but what I'm trying to say is that although it's considered a rivalry, you know, a lot of these matchups isn't as, as big of a difference as a, a game two weeks ago. At least I believe as they make it out to seem on as far as uh, on TV or even uh, the lines. I mean, if you compare this week's lines um, and just try to figure them out by looking at teams that both teams played, you know, a week ago, two weeks ago. It's really pretty much stayed according to, to how it's gone. They, I mean, there isn't a huge adjustment because it's a rivalry. No um, doubt. I, as far as handicapping it, like Marco said, absolutely. You could go in looking for the dog. You could go in and, and get an edge on your handicapping by looking at different factors that you might not in other weeks. But I don't think that it's factored into the line. I don't no, think exactly. the, That's what the I odds maker is changing his numbers because it's a rivalry. No, you as a handicapper possibly are going to change what you know how you might look at the game or, or your reasoning for, for who's going to cover the spread. But I really don't think you could look at the number and say, if this game was played two weeks ago, it would have only been three. And now because it's a rivalry week, it's seven. I don't, yeah, I don't, th I don't think they, I agree with you. I don't think they change the line because it's a rivalry, but I, I think you would have to agree that they do change the line based on need. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, that's why you see tomorrow Texas, right. Texas is 35, 36 points because everyone knows they got to win by 50. Yo, you're absolutely right. But and, I, and I didn't answer uh, Maddie actually, it, it's a very good point, uh, the backyard brawl. And growing up in Pittsburgh, I mean, that was the game. Sure. I mean, to Pitt, West Virginia, before that it was Pitt-Penn State, but we've lost that rivalry because Penn State, you know, won't play Pitt. But that rivalry is as big as Ohio State-Michigan in western Absolutely. Pennsylvania. And the thing with that is, for years, all you had to do in that series was whoever had the team that had the most to lose, you know, most to lose, they, they were playing for a big bowl, you went against them. 
The, under, the underdog would take it. You know, in last year, prime example, West Virginia was playing for their shot yeah, at the national yeah. championship. They were a huge favorite. And Pitt went in there and beat them. And the reason they beat them, not because Pitt was the best team, not because Dave Wanstad had a great game plan, because West Virginia went in there with their buttholes tighter than a drum, yeah. and they played not to lose instead of playing to win. And they let Pitt hang around for three quarters. And when you get into the fourth quarter and the game's tight, anything can happen. Sure, and that's sure. what happened. No, and then that, that's a great point, man. That, yeah, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. You do have, you know, have to look at handicap it at least um, a little differently, and, and add in more factors than you might on on a normal Saturday. You're you're absolutely right, um, but I'm just trying to get the point across that I don't think you could look in a weakness in the line because of it. I think like when you you know it, that fact what you just brought up is it's a great motivational edge you're finding. You know, it's it's a great edge in in that factor. Not as much as looking for a fat uh, edge in the number. You know, no, I think absolutely. this late in the season, they're really sharp, the lines. And that's why I just want to point out for all our listeners, too, is just that we have two different, two good perspectives that are both right here. I mean, there's a little disagreement, but 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 Vegas runners coming in from the, the odds-making perspective. Marco's coming in from the handicapping perspective. I think if when you put those two together, that they're both in a, we're all in agreement. I mean, I'm just jumping on board with them. I agree with all, all, everything they're saying. That being said, and uh, you know this this brings up a good point, Marco. In a game like this, I know you probably have a pick on this, so you don't want to lean one way or the other. But like this year, West Virginia and Pitt, I'm looking at the standings; they're equal. I mean, there's there's really like you can't. I think that's where it makes this kind of a tough one. Cincinnati has to beat Syracuse, and I'll tell you what, like you know, Cincinnati should destroy them coming coming off they beat Notre, Notre Dame. Dame. Like that team is so high. I think I think uh, Greg Robinson's still riding around Syracuse in a parade after yeah, that one. Probably but, right. uh, you know that that's this presents an interesting challenge. And uh, yeah, I don't know if you it, want to talk about that at all. Well, the one thing it, it takes away the one angle that I said because they are equal in that, but you do have huge, huge, huge. You can't have any bigger revenge factor oh, than West Virginia, Virginia has. Sure. I mean that. Pure and simple. That one game cost them their shot at the national championship. Something that West Virginia doesn't have that Not opportunity. Too many chances. Right. Yeah, so it drove Rich Rodriguez out of town. So <laughs> it was pretty big. It'll it'll be an interesting game for sure, and it's it, it, they're definitely hard hitting games. There's some good games. And I just want to close out with this question because it's it's not really a rivalry, but it's something that we've kind of tied together, I think, over the last few weeks with talking about the motivation in the last week, which is also not not just rivalries, but just even in the regular season finales. And that's a, this is a very odd game. I know some people had UNLV last week as a double-digit favorite at San Diego State, but this game I want to focus on in particular just because San Diego State is so bad. But who had who had more to play for in that game to yeah. become bowl eligible? UNLV, yeah, UNLV, UNLV had to win that game. That's why they were a double-digit favorite. I actually made a play on the over in that game based on stuff we've talked on the podcast because I was going off last game for both teams. They're all going to let it, just let it hang out. And I just want to let the listeners know that's stuff that I picked up myself as a handicapper, just talking with these guys over the course of the season. And just that's something also to look for, I think, this weekend, depending on the weather in certain games is teams what they have to play for like Oregon the thing with the, that stands out in the Oregon Oregon State game is both of them are going to go to really good bowl games and, and right. both of them are you know very good teams they're they're essentially equal we all talked about that one team obviously has a lot more to play for as far as you know going to the Rose Bowl but you know 
that's a game, and, and that's very that game's comparable to like you know West Virginia Pitt this year. I mean, they're, they're going to be second fiddle in the in the Big East. And bringing back what you just said with that UNLV game, I'm, I mean, that's one of them angles that you saw the wise guys. I mean, every runner in town was was buying up San Diego State like they already had tomorrow's paper, and um, that Maybe goes they did. To, <laughs> to a credit to to Marco and what he was saying Absolutely. how he handicaps the games because when you look at these two. Um, yes, the line was based purely on, on what the power ratings of, of LVSC and offshore books had it, you know. And obviously, the handicappers, though, for these wise guys threw in that factor that Marco just spoke about and saw that even though on paper UNLV looks like the dominant team, even though on paper, you know, they, this should be a blowout. There is that factor of they haven't been in this position where well, they must win. And, you can and now never... they're going on the road and they have to win. Yeah. And again, and even Coach, um, I was listening to his uh, radio program earlier this week while I was driving home one day, and he was saying your exact words, both of you guys. He said, we played that game from the opening kickoff not to lose. We didn't play to win the whole 60 minutes of that game, and that's what happens when you don't play to win. So, um, you know, that's a testament to what Marco just said and how he can You cannot underestimate to me the, the role of an, a home spoiler team, like a team that's going to be... How bad do they know, want them to rush the field, knock over goalposts, yeah. throw oranges? Like they did last <laughs> week in Cincinnati. That's the thing with know? Oklahoma State this week, too. I mean, they're at home in that game, a home dog. That's one of those rare... Angles, I think we're just waiting of the game, knock over the home dogs, you know, and, and not and knock Oklahoma out of the national championship race. I mean, they win that game. Texas is going to the BCS, they're going to the Big Twelve championship. Then they'll probably end up in the national championship Ooh, where they deserve. Good so uh, <laughs> good stuff, guys. Uh, we're almost to our final segment, which is our picks of the week, and that will come back after this next break. Again, you're listening to the Sports Betting Preview Show, a pregame.com podcast. Hi, this is Tommy Ryder from Pregame.com. The Pregame Cheat Sheet features everything you need to bet on the top TV games, including team tips, top trends, and key injuries each and every game day, all on one page. The Pregame.com content team also gives you their top consensus side and total plays of the day to help you beat the books. Visit the Pregame.com homepage now to get info worth betting on today's top games and make sure to start your day with the Pregame.com cheat sheet. Welcome back to the Sports Betting Preview Show, a Pregame.com podcast. We're going to kick it to Marco now, and he's got a special offer for all the listeners today. Well, in honor of Thanksgiving, and we'll all be eating some turkey tomorrow, we're going to give the coupon this week. It'll be for $10. You can use it at Pregame Pros. Dot com for any of our picks this week from all of our hot cappers, and we got several cappers with hot streaks. Don't forget Matty O'Shea, Mr. Thursday Night. Thanksgiving's well, he's got, on he's Thursday. Got th- he's got Thanksgiving. Tur- Turkey Day triple play. That'll get you that package for five bucks, I think. Well, you can. It's uh, Just use coupon TURKEY10. Just type in TURKEY and the number 10, and you'll be able to get $10 off on any purchase at Pregame Pros. That coupon will be good through Monday night's game, so take advantage of it. Awesome. Well, VR, what have you got as your pick this week? <laughs> well, last week I lost my podcast play the first time in, in a long time. Um, so I said I'm going to switch it up this week, and I'm going to bring a surprise three-star in, but in the NFL for Sunday. Uh-oh. Um, this will be the okay. first NFL podcast play of VR's career. Um, and a three-star to boot. Uh, we have Atlanta, a nice 7-4 and four Atlanta team traveling to San Diego, who's 4-7. and seven. 
Um, the line's anywhere from four, four and a half, five, five and a half. Um, I had put it up for my guys to take it down the four, lay the four with San Diego. I wouldn't mind laying five to tell you the truth. I don't think this game will be that close. Um, Atlanta's coming off a huge win. They blew Carolina away 45-28. That's a very big win for them. Um, they've played three straight home games, and now all of a sudden they have to fly out west. San Diego, on the other hand, is coming off two very tough losses. They lost 10-11 at Pittsburgh, a game that they had to lead up until 15 seconds in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I think quarter. something happened at the end of um, that game. Then they played Jack, uh, San, I mean, Indianapolis on Sunday night football in front of a primetime audience at home, again, in a must-win game. And with a minute 30, the game was tied. Zero's on the clock, and what do you see? Vinatieri hits a 51-yarder. Looks familiar. And the Colts win 23-20, and San Diego drops to 4-7. and seven. Here's the kicker. San Diego at 4-7 is only two games behind first place um, Denver, although Denver holds a tiebreaker because they beat them by that one-point game that the referees gave to them early in the season. Um, But what does San Diego have on deck? They have Oakland, KC, Tampa Bay, and then they finish off the season with Denver. Four very winnable games. Um, They're going to get in the playoffs. And it starts off this week. This is... We've said it a few times with them this year, a must-win game, but this is a season-ending game. I mean, let's label it like it is. If they go to 4-8, and eight, it's over. You know, Denver wins the division pretty North much. Turner gets fired, as everyone hopes. Denver wins the division, no chance at the wild card. So as must-win as they come, this is it. And I don't like backing must-win must you know, teams too much, um, especially when they're favored. But in this situation, the line just don't look right. Um, how Atlanta's getting anything more than three points to me goes to show that the odds makers looking at this as, as a one-sided affair too. And the reason I think they're looking at a, at a blowout by San Diego is Atlanta's going to have trouble rushing the ball. Um, this San Diego D, they only allow 95 yards rushing and 91 yards rushing at home. If Atlanta can't rush the ball and is only forced to pass, they will have a lot of problems beating the San Diego team. Then San Diego's balance will be too much for Atlanta to handle. Atlanta's played good against the pass all year, but the last three weeks they've allowed an average of about 300 yards through the air. If Rivers has that kind of success against them, it's going to be a long afternoon. Bottom line, lay the points with San Diego, double-digit win on Sunday. They move to 5-7, and seven. Atlanta moves to 7-5, and five, and they get the home cover. Well, let's not forget either that Michael Turner is going back to San Diego, and I think the Chargers know how to, how how to, stop, how him, to stop him. And they'll be yeah. waiting for him. I think this is a great spot for a team that's in dire need of a win. The, the betting public's lost all hope in them. No one's going to well, back them. Well, they probably burned yeah, burn so much there, No one's backing yeah. this team come Sunday. That's, that's the one point I really like that you said, because whenever the public gets the fork out, and, and officially sticks it in a and team. That's, I'm that's just not they, ready yet to do win. it on a team that coming into the season was the favorite to win the AFC. Absolutely. Good point. Marco, what do you have? Uh, I got uh, my stench games have been a little smelly the last two weeks. And uh, so we're gonna. I'm going to take a page off of VR's playbook. And uh, I've been giving you pro games. I'm going to go to the college <laughs> this week. And uh, I did some sniffing around. And when you guys are eating your leftover turkey on Friday, I found a stinker of a game. If you could even find it on the schedule. It, it, it's Akron and Temple. Oh, my God. Is it even on the schedule? It, it's, it's an added game. It, it, it's there. And here's my question. You got Temple last week that won 
55 to 52. They put up 55. And they're, they're laying only two points, two and a half points. They're just pick the winner here. To the bad Akron team? To, to an Akron team that's got, what, four wins on the season? Or, sorry, five wins on the season? Uh, it just it doesn't smell right to me. Um, I'm not going to fall for the Temple here. I'm going to go with Akron. Uh, Temple cannot run the ball at all. Last four games, listen to these rushing totals. And these were not powerhouse defenses that they went against. They had 67 yards against Eastern Michigan on the ground. 72 yards against Kent State. Navy, who's pathetic on defense, 69 yards. And 64 yards against Ohio U. And they had 30 or more carries in all those games. It's not like they only had 10 carries in Ohio. Right, right. They, they were trying to run the ball. Um, this team can't run the ball. I'm still trying to figure out how they got 55 points on the board last week. Um, and there, there was only one turnover in the game, so it wasn't on turnovers. Uh, I think it was mirrors, smoke and mirrors. I'm going with Akron. Um, Akron plays with revenge from last year. They lost to Temple at home as a 12-point favorite. I'm going to take Akron plus the points, and I see them winning outright. What's the number on that game? Uh, they're points? getting plus two and a half. Wow. I don't know if I could top that, guys. That's pretty. That's a stinker. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save the words. Uh, I'm going to actually... I got talked into a play earlier, and I, I'm going to go with Oregon State, believe it or not. I think uh, just hearing what you guys said, you kind of made the play for me. And uh, I think that I think with two, there's it's, it is a rivalry game, and uh, I just think Oregon State's the better team with a lot more to play for. And I just think the fact that they can go to the Rose Bowl is going to be so much motivation, and it's one of the toughest. Just what you said, VR, about you know the home teams dominated the series. I'm, I'm just gonna I'm gonna go with them. I mean, that's gonna be my podcast there, play. No argument. They're the better team. Yeah. All their statistics are better. You know where they rank in the NCAA. They've had the toughest, much tougher schedule. So it's not like you're you know picking a bad team out of the air. You're, you're definitely on well, the, definitely not because I took it from you guys. Well, you're on the <laughs> side. You're on the better side. That's for Here, sure. Here's no my question: doubt that. If the game wins, does he still give you guys, you and me, the credit, or unless we have, if, if, it, if, it, if it loses, if it loses, comes Saturday. It goes on my record. It goes on my podcast play record. But I'll, I'll give you guys a special kudos. So. Okay. Well, we love those. Well, I know you love the kudos. So. <laughs> it's a no-loss situation. I'm cheering. Hey, Matt, Matt's the he's the, the prince king of kudos. win-win situation. That's right. Well, we all know what time it is. Over? Did you say over? Nothing is over until we decide it is. Was it over with the Germans bomb Pearl Harbor? Hell no! German, forget it, he's rolling. That ain't over now. Until next week, this is the sports betting preview show a pregame.com podcast everybody have a good thanksgiving have and a best, happy thanksgiving best guys. of luck this happy weekend happy thanksgiving thank you